Okay, well, welcome to Plum Creek Chapel. I know we've got some guests here for the 9 o'clock hour. Great to see you guys. Uh, uh, just uh, great to see Dean and Jason here. Glad they got over their backslidden state and are finally walking with the Lord again. No, they've been, uh, been sick, but so glad to have you guys here. And I uh, want to just mention a couple of uh, quick announcements as we uh, get started here this morning. And then we'll, as I said, get to Daniel chapter 9. Really excited about what we have to talk about. Well, this is the week long anticipated. We're going to kick off our Tuesday night prophecy night at Plum Creek. I've been working hard on our first installment of that uh, all week. And I think I've mentioned before, we're going to be talking about uh, why Bible prophecy matters now more than ever. And I'm going to start out by talking about how the stage is being set prophetically. And uh, obviously the whole study is on Bible prophecy, but there are very specific prophecies in Scripture that I think uh, are you know, really coming to fruition before our very eyes. So we're going to kind of take a look at that the first couple of weeks, and then we're going to get into many other ways in which the signs of the times indicate the Lord's coming could be very soon. We could be living in the last of the last days. And so, but we'll kick it off with the stage being set prophetically. And again, that's this Tuesday, 6 o'clock. Um, and uh, we will, of course, be live streaming that. And uh, the live stream will probably kick off about 6.15 because we're going to start with some uh, worship, some music uh, to kind of set the stage. And then the live stream, as we do on Sundays, will begin when I get up to speak, which will be about 6.15. We'll go 6.15 to 7.15. All these times are mountain time uh, with an hour of teaching. And then we'll save for 15 minutes of questions at the end. So looking forward to that. Remember, from here on out, no Wednesday night service locally here at Plum Creek, our midweek service will be Prophecy Night on Tuesday nights. If you haven't read my article this week that went out in the church newsletter, uh, you can check that out at our website or at Harbinger's. It's called A Secret Message for the Church. And that's kind of a teaser of a title. Uh, In fact, I got somebody that emailed me not long after it got posted, and they were that you could tell they hadn't read the article because they were like, oh, I thought you were pretty solid biblically and now you're talking about these secret mysteries and I just I didn't even respond. But no, you need to read the article because the Bible talks about a secret message for the church. And then uh, we did a second update with Randy this week on our podcast, getting you know more views of that even than some of our other podcasts. Uh, we, even the one that put a drop this week with the Prophecy Watchers, I texted Randy after a couple days and I said, you know, your podcast has more views than Prophecy Watchers. So uh, anyway, uh, if you haven't watched that, that one's a shorter one. He was on Tuesday this week, and we had him back on Friday. Always uh, really kind of exciting and yet troubling at the same time to hear his commentary and insights on all that's going on in the world. Uh, don't forget a couple of events coming up. Uh, the first, both of them in Florida, the first one February 18th and 19th. You can register for that online. We will be live streaming these, or if you're in Florida, like some of our guests are, you can come join us for these uh, two uh, events. Uh, one of them, as I said, February 18th and 19th. The other one uh, in Orlando, and that one is March 2nd uh, through the 5th. Okay, finally, I want to mention as we're wrapping up this What Lies Ahead series, uh, it's still not too late to pick up the book. Uh, if you're here in, at Plum Creek, you can feel free to take a copy from the resource table in the lobby. If you're watching online, uh, we're offering that at a discount so that you can uh, kind of have in one place. It's like 350 pages and, you know, really cradle to grave everything the Bible has to say about Bible prophecy. Uh, you'll have that all in one uh, setting. So with that, let's talk about Daniel's 490-year prophecy. So as we wind down our look at what lies ahead. We've been going back and reviewing key foundational uh, subjects that we talked about more than two years ago now. Uh, We looked at, for example, God's kingdom promise uh, and traced that through Scripture. Then we looked at the covenant behind the promise last week, the Abrahamic covenant, uh, and how foundational that is. If you believe in the literal, grammatical, historical understanding of Scripture, then that becomes really the uh, smoking gun uh, of a future, literal, earthly kingdom uh, where Christ reigns from Jerusalem uh, on the throne in a rebuilt temple. Um, But another uh, prophecy that really is foundational, in fact, uh, Dr. John Walvoord, who was one of my professors 30 years ago, uh, he's been with the Lord quite a while now, but uh, one of the world's greatest prophecy experts, he, he wrote a book in which he describes Daniel as the key 
to Bible prophecy. And it really is, if you understand Daniel's uh, prophecy. And so uh, what we want to do this morning is take a look at this seven-year period, uh, which is in the book of Daniel referred to as the 70th week of Daniel. Now, unfortunately, because of a lot of bad teaching today uh, among those who either uh, shun Bible prophecy and, and mock it, or those who have an interest in it, but they just don't have a, they don't handle it correctly. They have a bad hermeneutic. Uh, there is a lot of misinformation out there about this seven-year period. But I think if you go back and review everything that we've been talking about, especially what we're going to focus on this morning, uh, it really becomes a no-brainer that there is literally a future seven-year period that will be the culmination of God's 490-year plan with Daniel that he revealed to Daniel 500 years before Christ, and uh, that it's not something that is you know, fulfilled in history. It's still yet future. It's not allegorical where it's just speaking of a generic time of trouble without a specific timetable to it. Uh, the first 69 weeks of Daniel's prophecy were fulfilled precisely historically in time, and so will uh, the 70th week be fulfilled uh, historically. So uh, Daniel, and to kind of start broad in Daniel's prophecy, and then we'll zoom in and look at chapter 9, Daniel's prophecies are pretty explosive. Uh, if, you, if you look at it in a historical context, you know, here we are roughly 6th century B.C., uh, 605 to 536 B.C., and uh, right around the fall of Jerusalem, um, it's a time when, in God's plan, as we looked at the last few times, a couple of times, uh, in God's plan, we had the promise of the kingdom, the covenant behind the kingdom, that covenant reaffirmed with, you know, Abraham, subsequent to Genesis 12, and then with Isaac, and then with Jacob. We see it in the Psalms, and we're just moving forward in time, starting at roughly 2000 B.C., all the way through the patriarchs to the time of the kings and the psalms when they were written. And now here we are another 500 years later, and Israel has gone through a lot by that time, haven't they? You know, they, they were led out of Egypt, uh, obviously, by Moses, and that's kind of where the Bible picks up the story uh, of Israel. Uh, but then they were in bondage to Assyria in 722 B.C., uh, in uh, to Babylon in 586 B.C., and now, you know, they're kind of picking up the pieces, and it would have been easy for one of the Jews alive at that time to really begin to wonder, uh, you know, has, after 70 years of captivity in Babylon, has God forsaken us? Have we blown it? Uh, maybe we, uh, maybe, you know, we misunderstood God's promise. Maybe it wasn't unconditional after all, and maybe it was contingent upon our behavior, and, and we really... Uh, we really blew it, and God used, you know, the Babylonians to bring discipline of God upon Israel for their unbelief. And so Daniel really comes on the scene, and God uses Daniel in a powerful way to remind not only Israel, but the whole world, that he's got a plan. That plan is unfolding over time, precisely as God intended from the beginning. You know, we looked a couple weeks ago at Genesis 3.15, and how that really announces shortly after the fall uh, the plan of God to redeem mankind from our own predicament. And so if you look at Daniel's context, uh, you, you know, and we'll chart this out here on the next slide, but uh, chapter 1 deals with kind of introducing who Daniel is and his personal integrity. Then chapters 2 to 7 are all about the times of the Gentiles and how you know, Israel for this period of time will be under Gentile domination. And uh, are we in the times of the Gentiles today? See if we have any Bible prophecy content. Absolutely. Alan's nodding his head there. Absolutely, right? So this Israel is still under Gentile domination. That's the reason you have the Dome of the Rock. That's the reason you have, you know, all of these talks of a, you know, divided plan. And you have Israel being reconstituted as a nation, of course, in uh, uh, 1948, which was a key setting of the stage for what's to come. But we are by no means in the kingdom age. It's still yet future. And so we're still living out these times of the Gentiles, and we will be until the end of Daniel's 70th week. So the times of the Gentiles is broader than the church age. So if you go back to our end times chart, if you look over here on the left, we're in the church age today. But the times of the Gentiles will continue even after the rapture up until Christ comes back uh, 
defeats the Antichrist, and the nation of Israel is regathered into her land and no longer under the oppression of a Gentile world ruler and world uh, leader. So that's what chapters 2 through 7 deal with. And then chapters 8 through 12 are future, talking about uh, the coming kingdom someday. So uh, we don't have time to go through the whole chart, uh, but this is in our chart book that's out on the table or available at notbyworks.org. But the theme of Daniel is, of course, that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men. And we see that in chapter 4. And so Daniel, God uses Daniel the prophet to remind the world that God is still in charge. And so as you work your way through it, again, you know, up through really chapter 7 or so is historical, then the rest of it is uh, prophetic, looking into uh, the future. Uh, and then we talk about uh, the key chapters are chapter 2 with Nebuchadnezzar's statue and chapter 7 with Daniel's vision, both of which correlate perfectly with one another. And Daniel you know, interprets these and shows us that God is working out his plan leading up to a revived uh, Roman Empire. So if you just kind of put them side by side, Daniel 2, of course, is Nebuchadnezzar's uh, dream of the, uh, of the statue. Uh, he asks uh, people to not only interpret the dream, but to reveal the dream. Daniel is the only one able to do that through the power of God. And he shows that essentially God is revealing these eras of Gentile domination in the world, and particularly as it relates to Israel. So it starts with the Babylonian Empire, with the head of gold, the Medo-Persian Empire, with the uh, midsection there of silver, and the Greek Empire of bronze, then the Roman Empire, uh, which was still yet future uh, at that point. So it was the Greek Empire, for that matter. But then he talks about a revived, a revival of that Roman Empire. The Roman Empire will be destroyed, but not utterly. It will be revived in the end times. And, you know, you get down to the iron and clay of the, of the feet and legs. The original Roman Empire had two aspects, the, uh, you know, the eastern and western half with Rome and Constantinople being the capitals. The revived Roman Empire, which is the toes, the ten toes, will have the same thing. And so as you begin to correlate Scripture with Scripture, you begin to see there's going to be a revival of the Roman Empire, this ten-nation confederacy that Daniel talks about and Revelation talks about. Um, we don't know for sure what nations will constitute that, but I believe, based on Daniel 2, we can say with certainty that it will include some nations from the Middle East and some from Western, you know, the Western half of, the, you know, of Europe. So, you know, who knows? It could include France and, and United Kingdom and you know, some of those countries, Germany, for sure. Um, but it also could you know, include some of the you know, Russia and some of those federations over there on, in the east. Uh, Daniel 7 is basically the same thing, just using different uh, beasts but still referring to the, the same plan of God. And so, uh, again, the main question that Daniel 9 answers is, after 70 years of captivity, can God be trusted? And I think it's a good question for us to ask as well, because if you look at a panoramic view of human history, and I've got the dates uh, down there at the bottom, you know, we can date the creation of mankind to roughly 4004 B.C. Of course, they weren't reckoning date before time began, when God spoke the world into existence. But, you know, millennia later, when we begin to look back, we can, using Scripture, as well as science, by the way, science is a Christian's best friend. Now, if you buy into, you know, Darwinian evolution, remember Darwin, the guy that thought everyone in this room should be murdered because we're feeble-minded, because we believe there's a God, and uh, that only the, you know, the fittest will survive, and they define who the fittest are as the Luciferian elite. Uh, so if you follow Darwin, uh, then of course you think the world is millions of years old and we all evolved from a wet rock. Uh, but if you believe the Bible, then you believe in a young earth, and you believe the earth is roughly 6,000 years old, and God spoke the world into creation. He created mankind mature. You know, if seconds after Adam and Eve were created, if uh, one of the animals had asked Adam, how old are you? Uh, and he would have said, oh, I'm seconds old. And the animal would have gone, are you kidding me? You look like you're at least 35. And Adam goes, no, no, I just, I'm about 10 seconds, 15 seconds, 20, I'm 30 seconds old. Yeah, that's what he would have said. Uh, you know, God created oak trees. He didn't create acorns. He created the earth and he created mankind in his image. So if you look at that rudimentary timeline along the bottom, we, or we come to the last days, which is what the Bible calls the present 
uh, church age. And in our Prophecy Night series that we're looking at starting Tuesday, we're going to talk about how we very likely are living in the last of the last days. Uh, the end times, of course, begins with the rapture and encompasses everything that happens afterward. So if you see the rapture on the far left there, that starts the end times. We're not in the end times today. We're in the last days. Um, we don't know when the rapture is going to happen. So we don't know when the end times will start. The rapture could happen at any moment. It's, it doesn't have to happen at a particular time. It's a signless event, an imminent event. Uh, so hypothetically, the last days could continue on for another several hundred uh, years. Uh, I don't believe that's the case based on just my own uh, looking at the signs of the times and, and kind of seeing how things are playing out. And I talk about that in both of the Spirit of the Antichrist books about how it seems clear that the stage is being set for the soon coming of our Lord. But we have to acknowledge that that is speculative. Uh, we cannot, uh, you know, say with certainty um, that, uh, you know, this is going to, uh, you know, happen because, uh, you know, hypothetically, theologically speaking, we could be uh, dealing with, uh, you know, something you know, in the neighborhood of 10, 15, 20 years. Now, we know the Luciferian timetable is such that, you know, they believe it's going to happen by 2030. In fact, they actually think it's going to happen even sooner. I saw another article just yesterday about uh, talking about the year 2025 as a target year from Satan's perspective to roll out the one world system. So let's say, just to pick a date, the rapture happens in 2029. Let's pick a date. I wish it happened today, and it could happen today. Don't get me wrong, but I'm just, to make an illustration, I'm saying let's say the rapture happens in 2029. If the Luciferians are successful in rolling out the one world system by 2025, which means the downfall of America, uh, an ushering in of a globalist world and globalist society, uh, then, you know, we might be as believers living in a one world system for a few years even before the rapture which is certainly possible biblically. Uh, it, you know, the only thing the Bible prescribes uh, is that you know, we, will be, we won't be in the tribulation period, which is what we're about, uh, you know, uh, what we're going to be talking about this morning. Sorry, my texts were blowing up, and I want to make sure there wasn't some emergency or issue. All right, so we're living in the last days. I believe we're living in the last of the last days. I believe that um, by all accounts, uh, the, the Lord's going to return to rescue the church from this present evil age uh, in our day and hopefully uh, very, very soon. So let's talk about Daniel's 490-year uh, prophecy. As I said, when we talk about this, we're talking about the final seven years of that 490 years because the first 483 years, as we're going to show you, have already been uh, fulfilled uh, in the past. But seven, the final seven years have not. So let's take a look at the text in Daniel chapter 9, verse 24. Seventy weeks are determined for your people and your holy city. So who's he talking to here? Who's God speaking to? Israel, right? Uh, by the way, the immediate context of Daniel 9, I guess I should uh, contextualize it. Again, the 70 years of captivity were coming to an end. Uh, Daniel prays. It's a beautiful prayer. And he basically asks God, what's next for your people? You know, the prophecy you gave Jeremiah is coming to its culmination. What's next? Which is, is very encouraging because it reminds us that it's okay to ask God about the future. It's okay to ask God about Bible prophecy in a, you know, global sense. Now, God's not going to reveal some special revelation to you that's not already revealed in his word, but it's certainly okay for us to say, Lord, help me understand your plan of the ages. That's exactly what Daniel did. And those people today, those uh, misinformed and misguided Bible teachers who suggest we should ignore Bible prophecy and don't obsess over it, don't talk about it, don't think about it, uh, miss this very salient point that Daniel did just that, and that's why we have this prophecy. Um, so it's for Israel, and, and you can see how this is kind of culminating, you know, as, as he goes on in the return of Christ, and it sort of speaks with finality here, to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins. Can we say that today there's been an end to sin? <laughs> Hardly, right? There's been an upsurge in sin. Um, but, uh, 
anyway, uh, to make an innocence, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in, to bring in everlasting righteousness. Can we can we describe the world today as having being characterized by everlasting righteousness? Hardly. To seal up vision and prophecy. In other words, it's done at that point. Nothing else. When time shall be no more and the Bible comes full circle to the kingdom in the end, it's done. And to anoint the most holy, talking about the return of Christ. So the key word here is the word weeks. Now this is the New King James. Some modern English translations will say 77s. Some paraphrases will say 77-year periods. But the Hebrew, when, when, when God revealed this and Daniel wrote it under the inspiration of the Spirit, is the word Shabuah. Shabuah, and it means a period of seven consecutive days or seven consecutive years. And obviously, context has to determine the meaning, as with any word. Um, it's used 20 times in the Hebrew Old Testament. Uh, and, for example, it comes up in Genesis 29, same word, Shabuah, is used to refer to the period of time that Jacob had to work for Laban in order to receive uh, what he thought initially was Rachel, and then he has to work for another Shabuah to receive you know, Rachel because he got Leah in the great switcheroo there. Uh, but anyway, uh, that word Shabuah clearly means a seven-year period. So Jacob worked for Laban for seven years. And then he worked for him for seven more years, a Shabuah, a seven-year uh, period. Uh, now, obviously, Daniel, we know in the context, had been thinking in terms of years because he was asking about Jeremiah's 70-year prophecy. And, and so uh, God then says to Daniel, well, I've told you about 70 years. Let me tell you now about 70 times seven years, 490 years. This is what's going to happen next. So when we see this idea of 70 weeks, it's pretty simple math. A week is seven years. 70 times seven years equals 490 years. So we're talking here about a 490-year plan. And, uh, and what is the, the purpose of this plan? Well, it is to anoint the most holy. It will culminate in the return of Christ to usher in the kingdom someday. And the key to understanding this and putting this together, and I'm going to diagram this out for you in a moment, and if you've been following this series for the, from the beginning, you may recall this. We've talked about it before, uh, and I have a whole chapter on it in the, in the What Lies Ahead book. Uh, but I think this will become clear as we walk through the text, especially when I diagram it out at the end. But the key to understanding it is to look for the time markers. There are four key time markers in the flow of thought in Hebrew that indicate how this 490-year plan is going to come about. So he begins in the next verse by saying, Know therefore and understand from, so that's the beginning, from the going forth of the command to restore and rebuild and build Jerusalem. So that's the first thing that's going to happen at the beginning. So we'll call that A. So just to simplify it, from A, and then he goes on, until... That's the next thing that's going to happen. And, and he says, until Messiah the Prince. So from the, the, the command or the decree to restore and build Jerusalem, A, until Christ comes, B, shall be what? Seven weeks and 62 weeks. Remember, what's a week? A Shabuah is how long? Seven years. So seven weeks and 62 weeks, or seven Shabuas and 62 Shabuas, is 69 seven-year periods. So from A until B will be 69 seven-year periods, or 483 days, okay? So, uh, and we'll come back to that in a moment. So, uh, again, this seven-year period, I think I just said this, yeah, 62 seven-year periods is uh, plus seven seven-year periods. By the way, we don't know for sure why Daniel or God revealing this to Daniel separated the first 483 years into two segments. We can speculate, and there's been a lot of speculation about that, but it's best to be silent where the Scripture is silent. The point is there's nothing that happens between them. The 69 Shabuas happen concurrently and, and, and culminate in the coming of Christ. And so if you do the math here, 7 times 7 is 49 years, 62 times 7 is 434 years, you end up with 483 uh, years. So again, from A to B is 400, 
and 83 years. So uh, then he, the next time, and we'll come back and define, show you in history how that happened. What does it mean until Messiah comes? Well, when did Messiah come to the earth? Roughly speaking, right? We just celebrated it at Christmas, right? Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. So it'll be fascinating to see because we know historically exactly when that decree was issued. And we know historically the time of Christ. We have all kinds of historical markers that we can redate his, uh, his earthly life and the apostolic age. Um, but anyway, just know that from the decree until Messiah comes is 483 years. Now, the next time marker is this word after. After the 62 weeks, and remember, he had just said it was 7 and 62 together or 69. So when he says after the 62 weeks, he means after the 69. So sometime after that, that's our third key marker, C. So you got from A to B is 483 years. Then C is going to happen after that. What is C? Well, the Messiah is going to be cut off. Uh, we know from comparing Scripture with Scripture, that's talking about the crucifixion. Another thing that's going to happen is the prince who is to come, talking about the Antichrist, will destroy the city and the sanctuary. So... We know that both of these things happened after the time of Christ. So again, Daniel's prophecy is perfectly accurate. But let's look at the next time marker. So after the 483 years, the Messiah is going to be killed. The temple is going to be destroyed. The next time marker is the word then. Then. After that. Then the final seven years or the final one Shabuah, one week, will commence. And it will commence when this prince that is to come, the Antichrist, confirms a covenant with many for this one Shabuah or seven-year period. And then the final time word here is uh, until. Until the consummation, which means the, the end of all things, the coming kingdom, which is determined is poured out on the desolate. So again, Daniel is essentially taking us to the home stretch. You know, God has revealed over time, and we saw in Jan Daniel chapter 2 and Daniel chapter 7, kind of a big picture view of the different Gentile kingdoms that will dominate the world up until uh, the kingdom. But now, uh, in response to Daniel's prayer, he's saying, okay, let me show you. I'm ready to reveal this to you. Here's how we're going to get from where you are today in 500s B.C. to the coming everlasting kingdom that was promised going all the way back to Genesis 3.15 when God promised that he would destroy the serpent and then it was explicitly spelled out in Genesis 12 when God told Abraham that someday all the world will be blessed through his seed and the ultimate seed of Abraham uh, is uh, Christ. So let's go back and summarize this passage. Again we said A was the command to restore Jerusalem, B was the Messiah coming, C was the Messiah being cut off and Jerusalem being destroyed. D was the signing of the peace treaty. And E was the consummation or the most holy one being anointed. We said from A to B was 483 years. Uh, then C is going to happen after that 483rd year. And then the, the final seven years would start with the signing of a peace treaty. Now, if you just look at this chart, because I think we have, you know, one thing I've learned through the years about adult learners, especially teaching for 12 years at a college and seminary, people have different learning styles, okay? I like diagrams. I like big picture, you know, things. Some people like to zero in on the, the details. So for those of you that kind of like words, this is just as a good summary. But what do you notice based on what's on the screen here about C? What we see there is a gap in time between the 69 weeks of Daniel and the 70th week of Daniel. That's why understanding those time markers is so crucial. Because remember, he says, after the 483 years, then the Messiah will be cut off and Jerusalem will be destroyed. Then, next time word, there'll be a peace treaty that's signed, and that starts the clock ticking on the final seven-year period. So we are living, folks, in the gap of time that Daniel demands based on a plain normal reading of his prophecy. And the reason I emphasize that is because a lot of false teachers today who, dis, who disregard and dismiss the doctrine of the rapture, they say that, you know, those of us that believe in the rapture 
are imposing this concept of a gap of time on the Old Testament and, and reading the New Testament back into the Old Testament. How many New Testament passages have I shown you on the screen this morning so far? Zero. You don't even have to read the New Testament to understand Daniel's prophecy correctly. Daniel demands that there's an unspecified length of time between the 483 years, which have already been fulfilled, and the final seven years, which are yet future. And the Bible refers to that seven-year period as Daniel's 70th week. It's also called the time of Jacob's trouble for Israel, Jeremiah 30, verse 7. It's called the overflowing scourge. It's called the great day of the Lord's wrath. Jesus calls it the tribulation. Uh, many names for it, but it's all referring to that seven-year period that culminates with the consummation uh, or the inauguration of the kingdom, the consummation of the Most Holy One being anointed and crowned as the King of kings and Lord of lords, precisely what he wasn't crowned with the first time he came. He was crowned with thorns. But when he comes back, he will inaugurate the kingdom. So based on that template and that understanding of the plain normal sense of Daniel's prophecy, uh, let's now chart out Daniel's 490-year plan. And I want to show you how amazing it is that God's prophecy uh, in Daniel has been fulfilled precisely to the day. In fact, so precise is Daniel's prophecy that most liberal scholars dismiss Daniel. They think it's not even part of the Bible. Or they come back and deconstruct it and they try to say that it was written you know, 200 years before Christ or 100 years before Christ. Because all of the things that he talks about in there, about the Greek Empire, about Antiochus Epiphanes in Daniel chapter 8, which happened, you know, actually came to pass in the succeeding centuries following Daniel's prophecy. And of course, those who are uh, deny the existence of God can't have that. They can't have the Bible accurately predicting things that have happened in history, uh, so they reject it. And, of course, they do the same thing uh, with many other prophecies. Remember, one-third of the Bible is prophecy, and half of that's already been fulfilled. You know, I mentioned we just celebrated the birth of Christ. That was prophesied 800 years, 700 years before Christ in Isaiah. You know, Isaiah said the virgin will conceive and have a child. Micah, some 500 years or so before Christ, said the, baby, the Christ child would be born in Bethlehem. Uh, you know, he, he would be wounded for our transgressions and so forth, Isaiah 53. So we see, you know, many prophecies fulfilled, but Daniel's a big one. And that's why liberals just, you know, can't stand it when people talk about Daniel, because it really, uh, it really highlights the trustworthiness uh, of God. So let's chart this out. Uh, again, from A to B, he says, will be 69 weeks or 483 years. A, we said, we know when it starts. Uh, it was the decree of Artaxerxes, which Nehemiah talks about. We know historically that that occurred March 5th, 444 B.C. So that's the beginning point. That's the A that Daniel talks about. And he says, from that decree will be 483 years. Now, here's the key. In Hebrew, a year was 360 days. We didn't get our 365-year calendar till much after that. So if you do the math, you go 483 years times 360 day, days per year, you come up with 173,880 days. Simple math. You know, the Bible is precise, right? Now, what's utterly astounding is that if you start counting historically on March 5th, 444 B.C., and you count forward 173,880 days, you come to the exact date of Christ's triumphal entry just days before he was crucified into Jerusalem, which was March 30th, 33 AD. So that's pretty amazing that, that the first 483 years were fulfilled precisely to the day because what had Daniel said? Well, from the decree until the Messiah comes will be 173,880 days. And he's He's reckoning that time to the moment when Christ, in fulfillment of prophecy, rode into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey, presenting himself as king, and says, I have come. I have come. Well then, uh, so by the way, a lot of times people, uh, based on kind of some bad commentaries and bad Bible teaching and books out there, uh, are surprised by the dating here. We've talked about it extensively over the years here at Plum Creek, but... Uh, notice the date there is 33 A.D. 
That is the date that, of the triumphal entry, and that he was crucified on Friday. He was betrayed on Thursday, crucified on Friday, laid in the tomb, uh, and rose again on Sunday. I've, I've documented elsewhere, and we do this in the book, that the Hebrew phrase three days and three nights is not used the same way we might use that phrase in English. If you hear someone say three days and three nights, you generally think that means 72 hours in English. But in Hebrew, it meant any part of a day, any part of a night. So Jesus was in the tomb on a Friday. He was in the tomb on a Saturday. He was in the tomb on a Sunday. That in the Hebrew idiom is called three days and three nights. So don't listen to people who have kind of a unfortunate view of uh, of that passage and they try to put the crucifixion at Wednesday or something just to make the timing work. You don't have to do that. The Bible's pretty clear on that. But let's go back and review the chronology of Christ's final week. So he arrives at Bethany on Saturday, March 28th. This is all 33 AD. Again, the triumphal entry actually occurred on Monday. We celebrated on Sunday because the early church met on Sundays. Obviously, the resurrection took place on Sunday and they wanted to celebrate the triumphal entry. So they did it the week before when they gathered together for the assembly. So they did it on Sunday. But historically, it actually happened on a Monday. Uh, then Jesus on Tuesday is when he curses the fig tree. He cleanses the temple. Remember, he cast out the money changers and all of that. Uh, then he gives his famous Olivet Discourse on Wednesday from atop the Mount of Olives when he talks about the signs of his return and when the kingdom will come. Then in, on Thursday, he celebrates the Passover with his disciples in the upper room. He washes their feet. He gives more information about his return. In fact, in, on that Thursday, April 2nd, is when we get the first and earliest reference anywhere in human history to the rapture. Jesus alludes to it in John 14. And then, uh, of course, on uh, later that night in the garden, he's betrayed, arrested. He has hastily tried. And by Friday, he's laid in the tomb on Friday, April 3rd. Uh, he's in the tomb Friday through Sunday. He resurrects on Sunday, April the 5th. And then from April the 5th to May 14th, you've got all of those thousands of post-resurrection appearances. Uh, then he gives the Great Commission sometime in May. And then he ascends to be at the right hand of the throne of God where he is today, waiting for his return on May the 14th. Ten days later, on the day of Pentecost, the church is founded, as we read about in Acts chapter 2. So what we're talking about here in Daniel's prophecy is that triumphal entry. And again, if you go back to the chart, that 483-year period, or 173,880 days, exactly was fulfilled precisely as Daniel said it would be. And then going back to our chart, uh, Daniel says, after this, after the 483 years, some things are going to happen. We called that C. That was that gap of time. And what was it? Well, the Messiah was going to be uh, cut off. Well, what did we just say? After the 483rd year was you know, prophecy was fulfilled when Christ came into Jerusalem. What happened after that? Well, he was crucified. He was cut off, uh, you know, uh, four days later. Uh, and then uh, the temple would be destroyed, Daniel tells us. Well, when did that happen? It wasn't on the chart because the chart was just taking us up to the day of Pentecost. But in 70 AD, some, you know, 37 years later, the Romans destroyed Jerusalem precisely as Daniel said they would. So uh, then he says the next time marker is D, then, that is after the Messiah is cut off, after the temple is destroyed, sometime after that, he doesn't give us a specific date like he did with A, we know when the decree was issued, we don't know when the peace treaty is going to be signed. Uh, then he says, so he says, then there'll be one final seven year period when the, the uh, Antichrist signs a peace treaty. Now, as you look at this chart on the screen, what you'll notice is that uh, everything in blue relates to God's plan for Israel and when the times of the Gentiles will be done and Christ will come back and inaugurate the kingdom. What we see in green uh, is, relates to a gap of time. So that's the reason I drew it this way, is there's clearly a gap of time based on Daniel's prophecy between the 69th week and the 70th week, and that's what you see uh, in uh, green there. So the Bible, the New Testament then comes along, and as God continues to reveal more of his revelation to us over time, I remember the New Testament was written from 44 AD to roughly 96, 97 AD, about a 50-year period in Greek. Uh, and uh, Daniel, of course, was written in, in Hebrew and Aramaic. Uh, so the New Testament comes along, 
and without violating at all the, the, the essence of Daniel's prophecy, reveals some additional things that are going to happen during this gap of time. And uh, so this gap uh, you know, allows for God to reveal new information and more information, and namely the church age, which Paul said was a mystery. Remember in Ephesians 3, he said, oh, this is a mystery. We didn't tell you about this in the Old Testament. That's what mystery means. That's what my article this week is about, so I encourage you to go back and, and read that. But you know, a mystery means previously undisclosed information that is now being revealed. Mystery in the Bible is the Greek word mysterion. It doesn't mean confusing or complex. It just means new information. And, and the, the Old Testament never mentions the church age, but it certainly allows for it. And the New Testament tells us that after the 483 years, there's going to be a church age. And, and that doesn't have any impact on the future final Shabuah, that final seven-year uh, period. So this is why theologians often refer to this, you know, church age as a parenthesis. And those who reject the dispensational teaching of Scripture, they hate it when we use that phrase. Uh, they just really think it's terrible because somehow they think it minimizes uh, the church age. It doesn't minimize the church age at all. It's a grammatical illustration. You know, when you're writing or reading something that someone else wrote, you come around the parentheses, it doesn't mean it's irrelevant. It just means it's a side note. It's kind of an excursus in the main flow of thought, but you do you want to read it. When you are reading something, hopefully you don't skip what's in parentheses, uh, because it can sometimes be the most important part of the sentence. So a parenthesis just means it's, it's a gap outside of the main flow of thought that God has now revealed, and we're living in this church age. We do not know when this final Shabuah will start, because the rapture has to happen first, which will put an end to the church age, as the New Testament explains. And then sometime after the rapture, we will see uh, the, the signing of the peace treaty, uh, and that will start the clock ticking on that final seven-year period, or uh, the Shabuah. So that's why you notice the rapture here. I don't know if you can see my pointer, but the rapture here, that puts an end to the church age. Then you've got this unspecified length of time, because the tribulation, that final seven-year period that we've been talking so much about this morning, does not begin with the rapture. It begins with the signing of the peace treaty. That was the D. That was the time marker. When this treaty is signed, that starts the final seven years. We don't know when that's going to be. Most uh, scholars speculate that it's going to be a matter of months. Uh, Wendy and I just went to see the new Left Behind uh, Rise of the Antichrist uh, uh, movie, uh, really fascinating. Uh, I was very disappointed the way they obliterated the gospel at the end. Uh, they had Mike Huckabee give the gospel, and it was horrible. I don't know that anybody could get saved listening to that gospel presentation, which is a shame. But the, the overall biblical approach to, to prophecy was pretty solid and pretty fascinating, in fact, to see how the world will respond when God takes Christians home to meet him in the air and millions of people disappear. Uh, but it's interesting that in that movie, as in keeping with the Tim LaHaye books, they, they have a gap of time after the rapture before the Antichrist rises and signs this seven-year treaty with Israel. And that's exactly the way it's going to happen according to Scripture. So uh, notice the distinction here between the rapture and the signing of the treaty. But that signing of the treaty is what will you know, start this final you know, seven-year uh, period starting. So to sum up, and then we'll take maybe a couple minutes for questions. The first 483 years of Daniel's 490-year prophecy fulfilled exactly to the day the way the Bible says they would be, the way God said they would be. Why would we doubt the final seven year? Why would we, as so many do today, think, oh, it was all fulfilled in the first century. It was fulfilled metaphorically or spiritually or allegorically. There's not going to be a literal seven-year period. There's not going to be a literal antichrist. There's not going to be a literal you know, false prophet and mark of the beast and all that. Of course there will be, if God's word is true, and of course it is. So any uh, questions or comments? Yeah? So right on this chart, then, that first line would be A. The second purple line is B. Yep. Church age is in the middle, and then C and D. Correct, yep. Okay. So let's see if I can go back real quick. So, whoops. So we started over here from A to B. Okay. And then, uh, and then we said there's a gap of time. My cursor back here. 
a gap of time, which was C, right? And then D is the signing of the peace treaty, and E is the end of, you know, if at all, I don't have E on this chart, but yeah. Yes? So when the Romans destroyed Jerusalem and destroyed the temple, was, was the dome with the rock there? Did they destroy that? No. No, see, Islam didn't even come into existence until 600 A.D. So, yeah, no, it was just, it was destroyed. Uh, Islam's a man-made religion. It came along hundreds of years after Christ walked the earth, but yeah. Uh, so one of you had a question. Paul, did you have a question too? I uh, will in a minute. Oh, very not. How chivalrous of you. That is so... Ladies and gentlemen, Paul, you know. There he is. All right. Great question. Yeah, yeah. So the question is, once the peace treaty is signed, couldn't it be calculated again precisely when the second coming will happen? Absolutely. The second coming is not an imminent event. It, it will happen at a precise moment in time. But so too was the first advent of Christ. It was quite clearly predicted with specific signs, and yet the nation of Israel by and large rejected it and the same thing will happen during the seven years it'll just happen more rapidly and that's why jesus repeatedly says to the nation of israel do not be deceived he begins his olivet discourse with those words take heed that no one deceive you because they will be so susceptible to the antichrist's deception that they will reject the gospel those that are left behind i mean and and even though they could have counted on it like clockwork yeah Yes. Will the seven years be based on the 360 days per year? Yes. Yep. Because it's going to be a time of Israel once again. And, uh, and, and Daniel talks about 1260 days, 1290 days, a little 30 day addendum there, and those kinds of things. Yes. And then, are, are you ready now that you've given gracious preference to your wife? I want to open this can of worms. Oh, go ahead. Okay. And they were trying to do the same type of thing, uh, not predict the date, but rather show a window when yeah. the rapture might happen. And uh, they took God's pattern of creation, six days and rest on the seventh. Yeah. They took uh, one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. I right. don't know if you can do that or not, but 2,000 years from, create, from Adam and Eve to Abraham, 2,000 years from Abraham to the crucifixion, 2,000 years, if you take the 33 AD, 2,000 years from that is 2033. And then a 1,000-year kingdom would be 7,000 years, yeah. Minus seven years for the tribulation mm -hmm. gives us a four-year uh, window yeah. between now and 2026. Of the possible rapture? Yeah, so let me summarize. I don't mean to cut you off, but I, we're out of time and I'm going to be in trouble. But so, <laughs> I knew this was going to be. So uh, he, uh, Paul's asking about the 7,000-year model of Bible prophecy, which is very intriguing to me. And he was talking about how he had listened to a podcast recently that talked about how from creation to Abraham was 2,000 years, from Abraham to the time of Christ was 2,000 years, the church age is 2,000 years, and then uh, the millennium, the 1,000-year earthly reign will be 1,000 years, and that's where you get your 7,000-year period. Uh, coincidentally, I'm having a guest on tomorrow on my podcast. It'll, it's not live, but it'll be posted before noon for sure. Uh, who's going to talk about that view? A very dear friend of mine, Bill Perkins with uh, Compass International, uh, and he and I have talked about this for years. Um, I think it it falls into the realm of uh, studied and educated speculation that could very well be true, but I don't think we can point to a scripture passage that definitively says God's plan of the ages for creation is 7,000 years in length. Um, and I don't take the one day is as a thousand years passage that way at all. That's completely out of context. But I do think it's got some strong uh, sort of theological support and, and, and sort of theological synthesis. We can't cha cite chapter and verse, but we can kind of compare Scripture to Scripture. Plus, another reason that I'm very intrigued by it is that it coincides with everything else we're seeing about the signs of the times, with everything that we're going to talk about on Tuesday nights, about even things like the uh, Apophis, the, the uh, meteor or whatever it is, asteroid that's going to be uh, coming, uh, about the Agenda 2030 and the Luciferian timetable that I have a whole chapter about in my book. So, 
It's certainly intriguing, and it, let me just put it this way. We'll talk more about it tomorrow with a guy that knows a lot more about that view because it's kind of his view. Uh, it certainly would not surprise me at all if the rapture happens and it turns out the church age was about 2,000 years long. And then that leaves 1,000 years for the kingdom and then the end of time as we know it when time shall be no more. Very possible, but I wouldn't hang my hat on that exegetically. Yes? So is there anything else? Is there anything that else that I perceive in prophecy that would have to happen before the start of the seven-year tribulation? Yeah, I believe the battle of Gog and Magog in Ezekiel 38 and 39 takes place uh, in this uh, gap of time uh, let me, over here after the rapture, but prior to, you know, right, right here. Uh, I'm sorry, right here. After the rapture, prior to the signing of the peace treaty, because I believe that's what propels the Antichrist to world power. In other words, uh, and I talk about this in the book, but after the rapture, of course, it's chaos on the earth. Uh, and, uh, you know, a northern alliance with Russia uh, and Syria and Turkey and all these other nations that are in the news today forms to try to take advantage of the fog of this craziness on the world after millions of people disappear to come against Israel. Uh, Randy and I have been talking about this for weeks on our podcast. Uh, and I believe a Western alliance forms, according to Daniel 11, that comes in and intervenes. Ultimately, it's God that intervenes and protects Israel from uh, uh, Gog. But uh, this Western alliance kind of takes credit for solving this impending battle that was going to be World War Three or Four or whatever it is by that time. And I believe the leader of that Western alliance is the man who then becomes the Antichrist. And so that's when he signs the treaty coming out of the Battle of Gog and Magog. Now, again, even that is somewhat speculative because the Bible doesn't explicitly tell us when Gog and Magog is going to happen. But certainly during that gap of time after the rapture, there are a lot of things that could happen that would set the stage for the seven years. For example, if the temple hasn't been rebuilt before the rapture, it would have to be rebuilt before certainly before the midpoint of the tribulation right here, because that's at that point it's already built and the Antichrist goes in and desecrates it and sits on the throne and declares himself to be God. So a lot of things that have to happen before the tribulation, or at least for the events of the tribulation to come about, uh, but uh, nothing has to happen before the rapture. It's completely imminent. So, Okay, yeah, last question. Is Psalm, 80, Psalm 83, is that referring to God and Magog? No. Psalm, the question is, is Psalm 83 recording to Gog and Magog? I don't take Psalm 83 as prophetic at all. I disagree with you know, a lot of my friends on that. Most dispensationalists do not, though. Uh, they understand Psalm 83. It's not prophetic. There's nothing in the text of the psalm that makes it sound like a prophecy. It's just one of those examples of something that happened in history. And, and we kind of take the headlines in the newspaper and overlay it on Psalm 83. So uh, the Gog and Magog word, by definition, is completely prophetic in the flow of thought. It's leading up to the kingdom in, in Ezekiel 40 to 48. Uh, so I just don't take Psalm 83 as prophetic. But I know some people do, and I respect them. They've got some good arguments. So. Okay, well, let's take a break. Thanks for giving me a little bit of extra time. We'll start uh, the service here at 10.05, give you an extra five minutes for a break. The live stream will kick off about typically 10.20, 10.25 when we begin the message. <laughs> 